Well, we are continuing 28 days of prayer uh, today, and uh, it's been um, it's been not what I expected in some ways. Uh, there's been a lot of good that has happened in the last two weeks of these 28 days of prayer. A lot of good, uh, but I'm also realizing like, very very quickly just how incredibly impatient I am um, across all areas of my life. It seems, and I don't think I realized it until we tried to like slow down. And, and, you know, a big part of the purpose of these 28 days is to slow down, to create space, to to hear God's voice, to seek what he would have for us, uh, to seek his leading, his blessing. And so I'm realizing really, really quickly just how incredibly impatient I am in this whole process across my life. And so I got, one of the things I did is I got a new cell phone. Um, I finally got an iPhone. Holler. Um, And it's awesome. I mean, it really is. And it's been great, but I'm realizing... Like, in looking back, just how ridiculous I was for the last, like, six months. Because I had two phones in that period of time, and I just complained, like, the entire time um, about, like, this ancient technology of the droid. That I was so angry. And I had seriously, like, threatened to throw it in the toilet, like, every single day. Um, even though, like, I, ha- I, can, I have, like, the world at my fingertips, right? Even with the droid. Like, even on, on Twitter, I can CNN, I can see what's happening on the other side of the world in an instant. Right and watch a video, and I'd, I'd find myself getting frustrated because the streaming video is so slow, right? Or like maybe like you have a laptop. I have a laptop that's like two, three, four years old, um, and so I'm starting. It's starting to slow down, and things aren't running like they used to, and I'm starting to see the spinning wheel of death a lot, and I'm getting really angry, and I'm like threatening my laptop, right, to punt it out the window. Um, or maybe like for you, like it was when you're driving around. I, I'm realizing I also get really angry in the car. Uh, and, like, especially when like somebody from County 59 pulls ahead of me, and like they actually believe the speed limit is like the speed limit, right? And so they're going to go like five below just to be safe. And I get frustrated. I get very frustrated. Um, or like speeding, like you'll be late for an appointment, and this happens to me all the time. And I'm I'm trying to get there, but I hit like every godforsaken red light in between like my location and where I need to get to. And I'm speeding up, like flying up on the red light, like thinking it's going to make it turn, and then I miss the timing. And I find myself getting angry, right? Or I'm in a public space, and they have free Wi-Fi, you know? And there's a lot of people on, and it's slow. And I get mad. I get angry, right? Or fast food, right? Maybe for you, it's fast food. I eat so much fast food. And it's horrible. Like, it doesn't even taste good half the time, right? I pick up McDonald's. It's never a good decision. I never was like, that was a good decision. I'm glad <laughs> I did that. But I keep doing it. And it's, like, horrible for me. It's completely unhealthy, but I do it because it's fast, and it's convenient, and, and it's right there when I want it, right? And, and I'm realizing that, like, culturally, we're kind of biased this way. Like, we, we want things fast. We want it immediate. There's a, there's a Russian comedian who moved to the U.S. in the 70s. His name is uh, Yakov Smirnov. Not the maker of the vodka. Don't get excited, right? But he's a comedian, and he talked about, you know, just American culture and some of his favorite parts about American culture. One of the things that he said, he said, I love the grocery stores. He said, I showed up. And I'm going down this grocery store, and I see powdered milk, right? You just add water, and you've got milk. And, and then right next to it, I saw powdered orange juice. You just add water, and you have orange juice. And then I saw baby powder, and I thought, what a country this is, <laughs> you know? And we have, like, this propensity, like, culturally to want things fast, fast, fast when it comes to our daily lives. We get very frustrated, very angry um, at times even when we don't get it as quickly as, as we want And so as we're talking about prayer, I'm wondering, like for many of us, how often, maybe unknowingly, we take the same mentality into our prayer life. 
And we, we pray quickly, we pray rushed, we pray on the go. Uh, and then when God doesn't answer, perhaps in the way that we want him to on our timeline, uh, we find ourselves getting very, very frustrated. Right? Here's just a litmus test for that. I want, all right, think back for a moment to a year earlier, all right? so February 2011. Think about it, if you can, if, if you are here this morning and you consider yourself to be a praying person, all right? so you believe that God exists, you believe that God hears us, uh, and so praying is beneficial. If you're a praying person, I want you to think back to uh, February 2011 and think about what you were praying about at that time. Like what area of your life were you just praying over and circling? Right? Or what need was very present in your life and you were asking God to step into that need and meet it? Right? What miracles were you praying for? What, what dreams were you circling in prayer? What was that? Can you even remember? Most of the time I can't. Right, apart from, I think, this church, I can't remember a single thing I was praying for uh, in February 2011. Right? And if you can remember, the next question would be, how many of those things are you still consistently circling in prayer? Right? That's a hard question. I wonder if there's any of them. It's funny. Um, although culturally, we want things very, very quick, there is certain things, however, that we we recognize our process, right, that, that take time. Generally, when it comes to our daily lives, we want things very quickly, but there are certain disciplines and certain areas of our lives that we recognize if we want that. Uh, it takes significant investment on our part, right? So when we look at, uh, like, for a profession, for example, all right, Sam, all right, studying to, to be a dentist, right, that gal is working constantly, studying in the lab. It's constant. Right? And she recognized, I mean, she signed up for that. Right? And we, we recognize that when we go to the doctor's office. But I've got mad respect for doctors uh, because not only they're intelligent, but the amount of school that they had to go through, there's no way. Like, even if I was smart enough, and I'm not, there's no way that I would invest that much of my life studying. But they have. Right? And, and they get paid well for it. I think they deserve it. Right? Or for me, like, I absolutely love the Olympics. Right? When we look at Olympic athletes, professional athletes, right? it's amazing watching the Olympics and watching these people that have devoted their entire lives to this one craft, to this one discipline, to this one area, to be the best of the best of the best, or to try to be. And then to get to watch them, you know, compete on this world stage. I absolutely love it. And we recognize that when it comes to mastering something like that, it takes a significant amount of investment. And according to, uh, there's a great book, um, I don't know if you've ever read any Malcolm Gladwell, but he, re- he wrote a book, a uh, New York Times bestselling book called Outliers. And in Outliers, he begins to explore some of the things that make people who are very, very successful, who have mastered their craft, um, what makes them able to do what they, what they do. And he kind of flips the, the old adage about natural talent on its head. And he talks and kind of really downplays natural talent when it comes to the best, the best, the best. It has to be there, but he talks about all these natural environmental factors that oftentimes are outside of their control um, that make them, like, lead them to become the best of the best. Everything from the year that they were born, to the family that they grew up in, to the part of the world that they grew up in, to the time period, and what was happening in the world at that time. And most of those things they can't control, but there's one thing uh, that they can control that was non-negotiable in all these people who had mastered their craft. And that was a minimum of 10,000 hours of practice. 10,000 hours of practice. And this is, this is just a little excerpt from the book. And he says, the emerging picture from such studies is that 10,000 hours of practice is required to achieve a level of mastery associated with being a world-class expert in anything. 
In study after study of composers, basketball players, fiction writers, ice skaters, concert pianists, chess players, master criminals, and what have you, this number comes up again and again and again. And then he says this, fascinating. No one has yet found a case in which true world-class expertise was accomplished in less time. It seems that it takes the brain that long to assimilate all that it needs to know to achieve true mastery. And my question this morning as we enter into this conversation, is prayer really all that different? Could it be that prayer is very much a craft to be mastered? Right? It's a discipline, isn't it, that we have to work into our lives. Right? It is a habit that has to be cultivated and developed. And while I don't want to equate prayer effectiveness to hours logged, because that's not exactly biblical, if you wanted to achieve mastery in prayer, it very well might take you 10,000 hours. And my question for you this morning as we begin is, if, if you could achieve it, would it be worth it to you? Or if you could learn to hear God's voice, to really become in tune to what God is saying, to what he is doing through your life, where he is leading you, how he is present, how he's at work, would it be worth it to you? And what if I told you that this kind of persistence is actually a part of God's design when it comes to prayer? Or if you have a Bible, I'm going to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, and I want to look at what is uh, one of my favorite parables, and it's a very bizarre, unexpected parable. Uh, if you need a, a Bible, uh, we've got them. Just raise your hand. We'd love to get you one. Luke chapter 18, <clears throat> verse 1, and this is what it says. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither, neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust says. If he says this, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Right? I love, I love this parable. Right? Partly because it's so bizarre and unexpected in this picture that Jesus paints about prayer, but also because it's so simple and it's so direct and, and even unapologetic in explaining what prayer is and what Jesus invites us into uh, in coming to God before prayer. I mean, the text, it spoils the whole point of the parable at the very first verse, right? Again, it's going to tell you what the parable is about and what it means. You know, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. All right? Spoiler alert. That's just, that's the whole point of the, the, the thing. But then we're given, like, this, this picture of this very quirky widow who apparently has boundary issues. Right? Because she keeps coming to this judge and will not let him alone. And she sets about just badgering him and badgering him and badgering him, saying, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice in this area in her life. And never mind the fact, it's interesting, that she is, as, as a widow, she's at the bottom of the social totem pole. Right? She's a woman and she's a widow. In this particular time and place, she's at the bottom of the pecking order. And as a judge, he's at the top of the pecking order. And yet, this picture that Jesus paints is this woman who comes before uh, the judge with both confidence and in this unrelenting way in asking for what she wants. 
And, and I love it. it says she kept coming to him with her plea. And the phrase used to describe the widow's persistence is this. Uh, in this translation, it says, I will give her justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me, which is a funny thought because uh, we obviously can't uh, go attack God. Um, but other translations say it a little better. It says, uh, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. She is, in another translation, she is wearing me out with her constant requests. She is wearing me out. I love this. This is boxing terminology, right? That she is standing in the ring, and this, this is a picture of prayer, standing in the ring before God and going 12 rounds with God, right? Relentlessly pursuing him until we get what we're asking for. It's a crazy thought. And Jesus says, this is how you pray. This is how you should pray and not give up, right? And it's very different than this, like, give it to me now type mentality. This kind of emailing the Almighty and then walking away, right? Text messaging God and that's it. And then we forget about it. Instead, he's painting this picture of this relentless pursuing, relentless pursuing. And it doesn't really tell us, you know, what this particular issue is in her life. Um, we know that she suffered some kind of injustice. We don't know if something happened to her kids. Uh, we, it doesn't really say. Apparently, that's not the important part. But what we do know is that she just keeps coming after this judge in this persistent way. And he just gives in because he knows that she's going to keep circling his house until he dies if he doesn't give her what she wants. And Jesus says, like, this is how you pray. Or the judge knew that there was absolutely no quit in this persistent widow. Right, so my question for you is, does the judge know that about you? Does God think about you that way? When God thinks about the way that you pray, is, is he saying, this guy will not leave me alone on this. Apparently he's serious. Right, this gal just keeps pursuing me relentlessly over this area of her life. Right, how can I keep saying no? Is that the way that God views the way that we pray? Is that how we come to him? Right, or is it kind of throwing it up and walking away and forgetting about it? Jesus gives us a different way. Another thing that I love about this story and one of the things that I find fascinating is the way in which the persistent widow approaches the judge. Because her methodology, at the very least, is a little unorthodox. Or because technically she probably should have waited for her court date, right? I mean, when you go to the guy's home, they're kind of crossing a professional line, you know? Boundary issues. And yet she keeps coming after him in this way. And, and I, I believe in Jesus in, picture, in giving us this picture about prayer that it says something about God's character and about what he invites us to in prayer. And that's that God doesn't care all that much about protocol. Right? He does not care that much about the religious hoops that we create for ourselves sometimes. Think about it. If, if he did, right, Jesus would never have picked the disciples that he did. Right? If it was about rules and hoops and, and coming to God in just the, exactly the right way in prayer, well, then he would, have asked, he would have had the Pharisees be his disciples. Right? But that's not who God honored. God did not honor the Pharisees. Instead, he, he honored the prostitute who crashed the party at the Pharisee's house and lavished this extravagant worship on Jesus' feet. Right? Instead, uh, Jesus honors the tax collector right, who climbs the tree in the three-piece suit to get a glimpse of Jesus. Right? Instead, he, he honors the friends who bring their crippled friend to Jesus. And they cut in line and they climb on the roof and they dig a hole in the roof in order to lower their friend down to Jesus' feet. Right? In this parable, Jesus honors this persistent widow who drives a judge crazy with her relentless pursuit and prayer. Right? And the common denominator that we see in all these stories is this, this holy desperation. Right? These people took desperate measures to pursue God in prayer, and God actually honored them for it. 
And what I want to submit to you this morning is that God has not changed. Or that God is still in the business of honoring spiritual desperados who climb trees and crash parties. Or that Jesus invites us to, to pursue him in this way. To, to, to come before him in holy desperation. Right In this parable, it's interesting. The only thing that this widow has going for her that sets her apart from whoever this other person was in her case was her persistence. It wasn't her character. It wasn't her holiness. Right? It wasn't the way that she lived her life or anything like that. It was just her persistence. And her persistence was the difference between justice and injustice. That's a fascinating picture as it relates to prayer. And Jesus says, this is how you pray. This is how you should pray and not give up. Like this persistent widow who comes before Jesus, who won't take no for an answer, who falls down at his, at his feet, who keeps circling relentlessly. Can you think of the last time that you prayed that way? Can you think about that for a second? I'd be curious to know what God did in and through your life through that. Or if you quit somewhere along the way. I don't typically do this very well, like naturally. This is something like why I think it's so important for us to have this conversation. Because for me, I tend to, to quit pretty easily when I don't see things happening. But, but one area in which I have done this is actually uh, this building. And when we were getting ready to plant this church, and, and we realized that this was the space that we are going to meet in, um, one of the things that I did, um, partly because I was so afraid, but also because uh, I believe that the church is inherently spiritual, and that I'm not that sharp of a leader, and I need God's help all the time, um, is that I started circling uh, this building in prayer, uh, constantly. Um, every day, for months, uh, I would come here, uh, sometimes on my bike, and I'd bike around this building, um, sometimes I'd, I'd walk, and I'd even have the girls with me, and we'd walk around this building. Uh, sometimes when I'd run, I'd run around this building. And I, I've literally circled this building hundreds of times in prayer. On Sunday mornings, every Sunday morning, before I speak, when I show up, the first thing I do is I walk a circle around this building. And I pray. I pray that God's Spirit would be strong here. I, I pray that this would be a place of divine intersection, where God meets people. Where God takes the truth about who he is and he makes it real and he penetrates hearts and he changes lives. And, and honestly, over the last 12 months, I really believe that I've been watching God answer that prayer over and over and, and over again. And you know what I think would be actually pretty awesome and I'd be really excited to see what God would do is if we as a church would circle this place. And maybe it'd be way too spooky <laughs> to do, all do it together, right? But I would love... To see us as a church get intentional about circling the space and praying that this would be more than just all the pavilion, more than just a city building, but this would be a place where God does extraordinary things and changes lives. Because I believe that God answers prayers like this. That God calls us to, call, to come to him in prayer this way. Or another spiritual desperado who defied protocol was a guy named Elijah. And uh, centuries before Jesus ever stepped on the scene, uh, Elijah... Uh, was alive, and there was a drought in Israel. And for three years, it, it didn't rain. And Elijah was given a promise by God that, that God would make it rain. But just like any promise that God gives us, uh, he required that Elijah be persistent in his prayer. And so I think it's First Kings 18. Um, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to give you a summary. But uh, we're told that Elijah, so Elijah climbs on top of uh, Mount Carmel, and uh, tells us that he fell on his face with his servant there, falls on his face in prayer before God. And he prays and he asks God 
to do what God has promised to do and to bring rain and to bring relief to his people. Right, it's a terrible drought. Very, very dangerous. Um, I don't know the full ramifications, but you can about imagine. And so he prays and he prays and prays in this holy desperation. And he tells the servant, go tell me what you see. Look on the horizon tell me what you see. And the servant comes back and he says, I don't see anything. And so Elijah falls on his face again. And he says, tell me what you see after he prays. And the servant gets up and he looks and he says, I, nothing. There's nothing. And so he has to do this again. And he does it again and again and again. And there's nothing for six times. Right? It looks like God is saying no, but Elijah keeps after. He keeps persistent, like the persistent widow. keeps praying. And finally, somewhere between the sixth and the seventh time, uh, there's a change in the atmospheric pressure. And the servant says, there's a small cloud on the horizon. And uh, Elijah essentially says, all right, circle the wagons. We need to get out of here. And the sky turns black. The wind comes up. And we're told that there's not just a drizzle, but this terrible uh, rainstorm. And I think for many of us, right, it's, it's during those first six no's that we tend to give up when it comes to prayer. Right? It's where we grow disappointed with God. We grow frustrated when he doesn't answer our prayers uh, in perhaps the ways uh, that we want in the ways that we expect. And perhaps it's not that God's not saying no at all, because Jesus says, keep circling. And we give up too soon. When we were trying to figure out where we were going to plant this church long before uh, we were gathering a team or anything like that, uh, we were kind of looking at the map of Lincoln and, and praying through it and thinking strategically where the best place would be. And one of the places we wanted to be was, uh, where I really wanted to be, was as close to kind of 48th and 0 area as possible. And uh, part of that was just uh, strategic, is uh, there was, um, like, if you look at a map and you were to draw, like, a three to five mile radius, circle radius, around 48th and O, you'd have the vast majority of Lincoln. And uh, you could drive there for about, for about 10 minutes from most of Lincoln. So it was a really strategic location. About that time, uh, if you remember the Villager Hotel, I used to go there a lot, and I liked the Villager Hotel, because every time I was there, I felt like I was stepping back in time, because, like, everything was so old and outdated. Um, it wasn't really surprising when it went belly up, but I really loved it there, and it, it went belly up, and they just raised, like, that whole property. And so one day I was driving by, and, and I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a God thing. Maybe it wasn't, but, but I saw that property, and I thought, that would be the perfect place. That would be the perfect place. Right on those streets, right in the middle. It's really close to 48th and O. It's like 51st and O or whatever. And so I got out, and I just started praying. started asking God that he would he'd give it to us. And, uh, and then I started doing that normally. Uh, every week, sometimes daily, I'd come and I'd just circle that property and I'd pray. Like, God, in the, in the name of Jesus, give us this property. You know, this is our property. Claiming it, you know. Naming it and claiming it. And Megan started doing the same thing. And we almost could never drive by 51st and 0 without, like, outstretching our arm. Like, in the name of Jesus, <laughs> give us that property. And, uh, and so we did, did this, but, you know, I didn't see anything happening. And, uh... I had called, and I found out how much it was. <laughs> and then I stopped. And, uh, and I, I no longer kept praying. And, and uh, it's funny now, because when we drive by and we see, like, they're developing that whole area. There's a Hy-Vee gas station and Cheddar's. And, and every time I see Cheddar's, I'm kind of angry. Because I'm like, you're on my property. Like, that's mine. And, uh, and Megan, like, one of us has to say something else every time we drive by. You know, like, oh, that would have been so cool. Um, now, now, did God want to give us that property? I don't know. You know, probably not. But maybe. Like, I don't know. But the sad reality is, like, I'll never know. Right? Because I kept circling. Or it stopped circling. 
The moment that I didn't see things happening in the way that I wanted, the, the ways that when I didn't see God moving and answering that prayer. And uh, I don't know, for me, like, I, it's kind of, it's been a challenging thing, even though it sounds really goofy. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, for me, like, I don't want to make that same mistake again. So, so one of the things I've begun doing, like, I talked about circling the building, like, as God's been kind of challenging in this area, is one of the things I've started doing is, is circling the city uh, in prayer. And so there's, um, I have like a 30-mile, it's a 30-mile circle um, that I've started driving and I'm praying around the city of Lincoln and praying for, for Jesus' church, praying for the people of Lincoln, praying for, uh, as the scriptures say, pray for the prosperity of your city, for if it prospers, you too will prosper, uh, praying for an outpouring of God's spirit and circling. And just so you know, like we've been talking, like first week talked about audacious, bold, specific prayers. Um, to be completely honest, like one of the, the, the bold prayers that, that I'm praying is that sometime in the future that God would give us a property. That God, that one of our campuses as a church would be something that would be given to us straight up. And I don't know if that's a, like a warehouse or, or a church that's dying or uh, you know, an abandoned apartment or department store. Um, I don't really know, but I'm praying that somehow, some way, at some point, whether that be next year or 10 years from now, that God would give us a property. And I'm believing him for that. Because personally, you know what? I don't think that's much to ask. Because if he owns a cattle like on a thousand hills, right? I'm just asking him to sell a couple and give us the money. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so just so you know, like I could use help with this. Like really. I, I'm, I, one of my commitments is I'm going to keep circling this. I'm going to keep circling this in prayer until God says yes. Right? I want to be like that persistent widow. And I believe Jesus invites us to be. So I'm saying that out loud, which is kind of a scary thing, but it'll be that much cooler when God answers that prayer. And I believe that because God answers bold prayers. God honors bold prayers, and bold prayers honor God. Now, all that being said, uh, there are times, obviously, when God says no. And I want to acknowledge that. Right? I don't want to do this hocus-pocus, name it and claim it type thing. Um, there's not a whole lot of biblical support for that kind of thing. There are times when God says no, and I don't, I don't want to downplay that because I know that there's many of us, myself included, who have experienced that, and that can be incredibly hard. And some, some of the darkest seasons of life are those moments when you want something so bad, and you pray over it, and you bare your soul before God, and you go after it, and you get a no. And so I want to acknowledge that, and, and trusting God in those times is sometimes some of the hardest times but it's also one of the most worshipful times. And I think we can find peace in knowing, as trite as it may sound in the moment, that God, his ways are above our ways, his thoughts are above our thoughts. Right? He sees what we cannot see. And that when he says no, it means that there's something better that he has in store. But I also believe that sometimes we jump to the conclusion that God is saying no, when in fact he may very well not, not be. Right? For Elijah, it seemed like God was saying no six times. Right? And sometimes I don't know that God is saying no. Maybe he's just saying not yet. There's a, there's a branch of history study called counterfactual theory. And counterfactual theorists basically, it's, what they do is they look at different world events in history and they look through it through the lens of what if certain events had ha- happened a little bit differently. So like in World War II, like what if the Allied forces hadn't jumped in soon enough and intervened and Hitler would have been successful? That's a scary thought. Right? What, if, what if the American Revolution would not have happened? Right? Stuff like this. And so they're all constantly asking the question, what if? And reading the scriptures through as like a counterfactual theorist, 
can be a very fascinating practice. Right? And I find myself, when I read stories like this, asking that, almost intrinsically, like, what if? Right, so with Elijah, right, what if he would have stopped praying after the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth time? Right, week one, we looked at uh, the, the Jericho miracle. Right? What if God's people had stopped circling right before that last time when the wall fell? And I think the, the, the answer is really, really obvious. Like it, what would have happened is the exact same thing that happened to the generation before them. They would have forfeited the miracle right before it happened. Right? And another generation would have had to wait before God fulfilled what he said he was going to do. Right? What if? What if? Right? What if you stop praying some of those things that you need to be praying and believing God for some of those things you need to be believing God for? What if God is not saying no, but he's just saying not yet? Or some of you know this, and I've shared this with some of you. Some of you probably don't know this, um, but several years ago, we sensed God leading us to plant a church in Lincoln. And... We went after it several years ago. And we gathered a team. I was, we were being sent out by River Tree Church. And we gathered this team. And I mean, we fundraised. And we had a plan. And we scoped out. We're actually going to meet at the Villager Hotel, which is one of the reasons like, I love that property. Is like, maybe this will be a redemptive moment, you know, when God gives us that property. Um, and so we had everything in place. I mean, I, I worked and prayed tirelessly for a year. And felt like this is what God's calling me to do. I believed that. I prayed about it. I felt so strongly. I was so sure. And then just several weeks before the launch. I mean, we are close to seeing this thing happen. The whole thing fell apart. Just fell apart. Like I watched this dream. This thing that I just knew God had called me to, to do. Just fall through my fingers. And it was incredibly public. And it was incredibly embarrassing. And, uh, and we actually didn't tell the whole story of what happened um, be- to protect some people. And so it really made me look like a flake. Like I just got cold feet and bailed right before we did it. And it was awful. And, it, th- and that might not sound like a big deal for some of you who have like gone through stuff like cancer and lost loved ones. But for me, this was like the world is ending and God, I don't believe in you anymore. It's <laughs> that crisis in that moment. Because um, I felt like God had sold me out. I felt like he had led me to the end of this road and put myself out there only for him to just leave me hanging. And so that initiated for me what was several months of the darkest period of my life. And I couldn't, I could almost not come before God in prayer. Like I, when I did, it was mostly expletives and me just screaming at God. Like, why would you do this to me? Like, I thought you were good. You told me to do this. Did you change your mind? Were you lying? Is that the kind of God that you are? All these things. And I really revisited everything that I believed and didn't believe about God. And that might seem dramatic, but that's just that was my journey. And uh, I had given away my job to do this. Now I was unemployed, um, had kids. and So I was working overnights at the People City Mission, uh, which if you're depressed, that's not a good thing to do to work nights at all um, and be alone most of the time. Um, but I went through this crazy journey. And for me, I thought this thing was dead in the water. And so we went off and still felt that church planning and the church was where we were called, but it was, it was years. It was a couple years of me picking up the pieces of my heart and soul and being able to trust God again. But we moved off to, to LA to prepare because um, we just, I didn't feel like I could lead anybody, serve anybody. Like I just needed to heal for a while and, and wanted to prepare some more. 
And looking back, one of the coolest things that it allowed us to do was to get honest about the areas that we did not feel prepared in. Like all the ways that I felt I fell short um, as a leader, as a pastor, ways I didn't feel ready. And so we went there and got to have such this incredible experience of being very, very intentional about preparing to pastor and to, to church plant. And so when, the, when God started like stirring in our hearts about Lincoln again, you can about imagine, I was like, no, absolutely not. Yeah, for a long time, I did not want to believe that. I refused to believe that. But one of the coolest things is, 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 is realizing that the vision and the calling never changed. That God was not saying no. He was saying not yet. God was not saying no. He was saying not yet. The circumstances weren't right. The time wasn't right. It just wasn't time yet. And I believe that that's probably true uh, of many areas of our life where we just need to adopt this mentality of the persistent widow and keep coming before God and wearing Him out with our requests, passionately pursuing Him. I can't help but wonder, for many of us in this room, what, what miracles we would miss if we stopped praying for some of the things we need to be praying for. Right? What dreams, perhaps, that God wants to resurrect in your life? Right? What areas of need that God wants to meet, but it's just not going to happen like that? Because God invites us to pray with persistence. Right? What prayers do you need to start praying again? Right, today is day 14 of 28 days of prayer. Day 14, we're at the halfway mark. And I've heard a lot of different experiences explained for some people, it's like God has blown me up and I am experiencing his presence in incredible ways. And we've seen some really cool answers to prayer uh, that I can't wait to share with you. I mean, some really cool things. But there's, it seems like there's either that and or like struggle, like lots of struggle. Struggle getting up at 7 a.m. to gather, pray, like struggling to be consistent, um, struggling with new issues in relationships and marriages. Uh, for some people, old issues, right, that all of a sudden resurfaced. And, and I think we need to be aware of that and not be surprised by that, right, that we need to expect that. And on day one, when we gathered for prayer for 7 a.m., uh, my message was very simple. And one of the things that I shared is this was going to happen. And not because, like, I am a prophet, because I am not, um, but because it's in the scriptures everywhere, that there's a spiritual battle going on and that Satan hates it when God's people pray, because there is power in prayer. And let me remind you of something that you probably already know. Ephesians 6, 12. Right? We need to remember this constantly. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And as we continue in these 28 days of prayer, and as you continue just in following Jesus, you need to know but the harder you pray, the more resistance that you're going to experience. Right? The more fervently you pursue God, the more fervently the enemy is going to seek to distract you, to discourage you, to beat you down. And if he can't do it, to get you to beat yourself down, right? to convince you that you are not worthy to come to God before in prayer. Right? That, that fasting is not for you, that this whole 7 a.m. thing, yeah, that's not, not for you. And I want to encourage you not to go there. Right? Not to let him do that. Don't get, don't get legalistic with yourself. Right? If you found yourself struggling, that's fine. Own it, acknowledge it, and just get back on your knees. Right? Don't beat yourself up. 
Don't give up. Just engage, all right? And if you haven't fasted, by the way, Wednesday night we started this fasting time. If you haven't fasted, right, don't, don't just resolve and say, well, I missed it. All right, it's never too late to fast. It's never too late to pursue God. It doesn't matter when you do it. It matters that you do it. So that being said, let me pray over you, and we will uh, end with the time of worship. Father God, as we come before you in prayer, as we continue in these 28 days of prayer, Lord God, I ask that you would give us vision and insight into seeing those things in our life that perhaps we need to revisit in prayer. Perhaps it's a dream that we stopped circling a long time ago that you want to resurrect. Perhaps it's a miracle that at one point we believed you for and we were praying for that we stopped at some point. Perhaps it's an area of need in our lives or in the lives of others. Whatever that is, God, I ask that you would bring that to the surface now and as we move forward. And God, we're going to wear you out. We are going to passionately pursue you as the persistent widow did. And Father God, we ask, we know that you hear us and we ask, Lord, that you would meet us in those prayers, that you would answer those prayers, especially those prayers, God, that give you glory. Those prayers that are about reaching our city for you, those prayers that are about your church, Father God, we ask that you would answer them above and beyond what we've asked you for because you're the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Lord God, we admit that we are oftentimes, we are prone to wander. And we ask, Lord God, that you would just remind us once more of your grace and your love. That you are the God that relentlessly pursues us even before we pursue you. So Lord God, we come before you now and we offer you uh, our tithes, our offerings, our worship. God, we ask that you would meet us here. We pray these things in your name. Amen.